That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. You know where you are? You in episode 52, baby, and you're gonna die. Not really, but it's All Saints Sunday coming up. Jake, uh, here we are again. How are you doing? I am great, and for all the saints who from their labor rest, um, you are listening to the same old song, and we are going to actually today, because most of you will be preaching, although it's November 3rd, we'll be preaching um, the All Saints text, and uh, God willing, you'll maybe have a baptism, but if not, this is a very, very important holiday, and I'm really excited about it. I love all of the All Saints Day sales, and um, you know... Um, the two-for-one All Saints Day deals that you can get anywhere. Oh, wait a second. All anybody knows is <laughs> Halloween, All That's Hallows right. Eve. Now, um, I will give my brief little take on Halloween here for folks. Uh, churches tend to get skittish on Halloween. There's all this concern about the occult and whatever, which is good and right. I mean, I yeah, I, I don't um, – I'm not going to be uh, – uh, glorifying the occult and all that sort of stuff. But I will say that Halloween means All Hallows' Eve. It means the night before All Saints, which is October 31st, because All Saints is technically on November 1. And it is a uh, Christian observance, like Christmas Eve, the night before. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is um, uh, about God's triumph over the devil and death and all that sort of stuff. And I think there's something... Uh, there's something interesting about Halloween. I think the reason why people get into it, I know people that love this holiday because it gives you a chance to be a little goofy, a little bit weird. There's mm-hmm. no family stuff to make it awkward. There's no gift giving that makes yep. it a judgment filled smorgasbord of anxiety. Um, all Halloween is, is be a little nutty. Um, acknowledge the reality of death, which we're all in denial of all the time. Acknowledge that there's a dark side to things, which we're all in denial of all the time. So there's something freeing about being able to do that. Yeah. And then we just give candy to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always tell people Christmas is like judgment. It's like Santa is watching, and if you're good, you'll get stuff. But Halloween is just like show up on my doorstep looking like you know something awful, and I'm going to give you candy, which to That's me right. is like a metaphor of the gospel. So I say to churches, um, rightly and appropriately uh, observe this and get out there. Also, by the way, if you're a Christian who because of Halloween freaks you out or something, you're not going to participate in it, you're missing the biggest opportunity of the whole year to meet the people in your neighborhood. Mm. And um, if you, I mean, it's it's amazing. Can so. I just can I just say too that if you're a Christian and you're celebrating a harvest festival instead of Halloween, <laughs> that is far more freaking pagan than Halloween. It just For I gotta sure. lay that out there. It is uh, harvest festivals are pagan. Um, yep. Halloween, um, actually, you know, All Hallows Eve, and whether you 
we don't believe in the intercession of saints in purgatory, souls in purgatory. But it is it is have it is a Christian holiday, and it does. We have just its lost roots all of our Nashota House listeners. I by know, the way. but anyway, all that's fine. Ang- sorry, sorry <laughs> Anglo Catholics, we love you. They're, they're on their way processing to get you, Aaron, in Waco, <laughs> Texas. But I live in a New York town, and uh, I live in a New York City where Halloween is a big deal. But uh, there is always an amazing <clears throat> opportunity to talk about the realities of evil. Uh, the reality of darkness, and uh, God's triumph over it. But this brings us to All Saints Day, which is actually historically one of the oldest Christian feasts in uh, the year, and it goes all the way back to... um, some say uh, the Neroshan persecutions, but most more likely the Diocletian persecutions, uh, where uh, just Christians were being butchered left and right. And historically, Christians always remembered great and uh, great saints who had given their lives for the faith in their region. And during this particular season, there were so many Christians who were being martyred for the faith that uh, they just uh, lumped it all together on one day. And then um, as we uh, grew and uh, moved farther from these persecutions, uh, what happened was is that um, All Saints Day gave us the remember the, the opportunity to remember that uh, those who die in the Lord don't die; they rise again. And so uh, we um, All Saints Day became a great reminder of the fact that when we worship, uh, you know, we join our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. So we're connected to the church. Uh, the church militant is connected with the church triumphant, and uh, that we stand on the shoulders of those who gone before us who have preached the gospel that we might worship the Father in spirit and truth. So All Saints Day is a very, very important day. And why don't you go, if you're if you're a minister, go to your parish registry and collect the names of all those who died um, that year and remember them in your prayers and, uh, and uh, thank God for their witness uh, to the gospel. Yeah. And so those of you who are not familiar with the terms church militant and church triumphant, that means the part of the church that's still militant that is fighting down here on earth, fighting the good fight. Uh, um, and then the church triumphant are those in the Lord who have already died and gone on to their Lord and are, and are um, triumphant with the, with the victorious risen Jesus Christ. Um, so that's the church militant and church triumphant. And what we remember in All Saints is that both realities exist at the same time. And um, we are part, as Jacob, as you said, of that of, of all the company of heaven, angels and archangels, the whole communion of saints. And so in the creed, um, the, the phrase that refers to this is we believe in the communion of saints, that all of those of us who are in Christ, both now and those who have already gone on um, to their reward. And if you want to hear somebody talk about it, download the 1517 podcast that they have about the Apostles' Creed. Um, and uh, uh, you can find specifically that episode about that if you want to if you want to know more but so all saints which is november 1st the episcopal church and most denominations allow you to move those readings to the following sunday which is november 3rd so that's what we're talking about here as we dig into all saints these readings from daniel 7 getting freaky with four beasts coming out of the ocean uh, or the sea they would have probably thought the mediterranean um ephesians 1 and luke chapter 6 so mm. Jake, Daniel we begin, seven. We Daniel begin seven. with this weird Daniel passage. It's apocalyptic literature. It's talking about beasts coming out of the sea. Mm, uh, I, I think it's safe to say that most people are not going to preach on this text because there's a lot to unpack if they do. But, <laughs> but that, what doesn't, would you, that doesn't mean but we But that won't stop it. us. 
we yeah. believe in the entirety of Scripture. But I think, you know, Daniel 7 is one of these things. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, if you, especially if you, you're in an Episcopal church, you might have somebody who's coming out of like a premillennial dispensational kind of background, and they're going to really hope that you're going to preach on this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they're going to be ready to go and then correct you on all, all of the your amillennial uh, wrong interpretations. But um, the point here really is, so Daniel is apocalyptic in nature. And um, and really one of the things about a, a, being apocalyptic in nature is not so much always like future telling, <clears throat> but uh, we get like a heavenly view of what's going on right now in the world. And uh, God gives God gives Daniel a heavenly view of what's happening. And uh, and so, and we're clearly told that this takes place during the king of Belsh- Belshazzar of Babylon. And he essentially was the last king before he was, before Babylon was wiped out by the Persians. And uh, Daniel has a dream, a vision of his head as he lay in bed. That's pretty exciting. There's a lot of details there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is an ayahuasca-themed uh, Yeah, passage. this is a ayahuasca. A that's right. About that. but Use of hallucinogens in the Old Testament. There are beasts coming out of the sea and from different ones. And uh, Daniel is troubled by this vision, actually. It's terrified him. And so he approaches one of the ten, uh, tenants, and you can read the, the the gap, the rest of it, between 7 and 14. But he approaches and says, what's all this about? What's all this about? And uh, the big thing that you need to know is, is, as for these great beasts, that's not the important thing. Four kings shall arise out of the earth. That's not the most important thing. What's important is, is that the holy ones of the Most High, that's mm. you and me, that's the church, that's faithful Israel, the church in Daniel's day, shall receive a kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever. That is the good news, is that in the midst of things that are terrifying, when all you can see is darkness, uh, the promise that has been given to you in the midst of it is that the Most High hasn't forgotten you, but rather, indeed, uh, you shall, and uh, because of Jesus, you have received a kingdom, and you possess it forever. And so, uh, and that is good news, and that's what the saints before you have clung to as well. That's the message of the church. Amen. I mean, I think that says it all. I'm not going to even touch it. How can I? Thank how you. can I say anything more than that, Jake? <laughs> Oh, I mean, that's such an encouraging word. I appreciate it. Well, then I'm just going to move on and keep going. Keep no, going. So, uh, no. no, and then we come to Ephesians Tell me more about one. the premillennial versus amillennial debates. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, that's uh, you You should definitely preach on that also if you want to preach and say St. Paul didn't write 2 Timothy. So um, <laughs> those are things to have afterwards in your forum. And Nothing so, builds uh, a church like uh, a yeah. series on Pauline authorship. And, and uh, premillennial theories, yeah. Yes. That only works in Dallas. But anyway, ta-da. Uh-huh, so. <laughs> All right. Ephesians 1, St. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus. And this is part of his introduction to this letter. Uh, this is the part where he's kind of just, he's getting doxological. He's getting excited. He's just beginning his letter. He hasn't even really gotten to the main thing yet. But but he's um, he, he's doing that thing which which Paul does. He begins by saying, how I love you, how you're great, I pray for you. And then he, he launches into... S- kind of this broader theology about in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, uh, been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. We set our hope on Christ that we may live for the praise of his glory. And then he starts talking about the faith of the Ephesians. He gives thanks for them. And then uh, the this inheritance we have, and he ends with this thing about Christ being... Um, 
raised from the dead and in seated at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule authority power and dominion so he moves from talking about the ephesians and their faith and how great they are to this incredibly powerful vision of christ and who he is and so it seems like from the imminent to the transcendent but as Paul does, he doesn't see a distinction. He connects it all together, which is great for all saints, because as you and I were talking in, in sort of our our pre-show planning, uh, the fact that what we do on church on Sunday when we celebrate Holy Communion is what you called, and many people call a thin place, where we are blurring the dividing walls between uh, the the heavenly realities and our mm. earthly realities between the church militant the church triumphant that we are in the presence of angels and it's not that we are calling the spirit down or calling angels down that we as we say we lift up our hearts we are going we are kind of being lifted up into heaven a little bit that something yeah. is happening there so so that's kind of what is happening in this Ephesians passage all that's these right. things are mixing up and happening at the same time yeah, and I think this is a great reminder what Paul is talking about, especially here. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been, and ignore the, it's predestined, having been yeah. predestined. That's the word. Um, I don't know why they dropped the pre, but um, Oh, I know why, pre- Jake. Yeah, I know why, too, but I'm not going to get into it. Too that's, hot to that's handle. For, that's, for a ser- that's for another class. So, uh, But that's anyway, right. um, but the idea here is, is that, you know, this is what, what Daniel saw in the past like coming up to the future, Paul now looks behind because this is all pointing to the work of Jesus. The kingdom that's being given is done and accomplished in Jesus. And this is a great reminder. What All Saints reminds us of is that um, for God, time is actually now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. what it is. And so God, how can God make promises to Abraham? How can God make promises to David? How can God make promises to Daniel and then and then speak in Paul and have this vision of what's already obtained? Is because for God it's right now. And uh, that's how those promises that are given to you in this age are being fully realized by those saints who have been raised from the dead um, by faith in Jesus. And so this is a very powerful thing. And so, yeah, you've been predestined for this great gift. Uh, God um, was slain before the foundations of the earth in Jesus, and he knew exactly who you were to bring you to this moment that you might have his kingdom. Uh, that comes with all of the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And if you're uh, if you're one of those churches that sings contemporary music, and if you're one of the five Episcopal churches that sings contemporary music in the, on your Sunday service, there's a song that you can sing for this uh, passage from verse uh, 18. Jake, would you like to sing with me right now, Open the Eyes of My Heart? No. Three, <laughs> two, just kidding. How can you sing this song? Explain that to me. Um, I w- well, you know, the, the, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Uh, oh, okay. Verse 18, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, is how the song right. goes. So that's where I'm going with that. Uh, okay. And this is something that can only be seen. I was uh, I was, people... I was, was profoundly offended and freaked out for just a brief second. <laughs> I just need you to know that. I was like, that's this my show, one goal. This show ends today. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, get me a new co-host. <laughs> uh, if I've made you anxious, even a tiny bit, Jake, I have done my job. I think we could call it a day. All right. So uh, I want to see you. Anyway. Open the eyes All of right. my heart, Lord. <laughs> okay. So that's, but it, to be, to just to kind of bring it back here. Yeah, bring uh, it back. To see this heavenly reality is something that God has to grant. Um, 
we tend to think uh, that everything that we see around us all the time is what's real. And we tend to think that spiritual stuff is somehow less real, mm-hmm. um, which couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, what is real is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, uh, that he is now above all rule, mm-hmm. authority, and power, and dominion, uh, and that all things are under his feet, which mm-hmm. on All Saints Day, we're encouraged to remember. And this is this is the great Christian hope, by the way, for those who do grieve and who mourn. Yeah. And there are lots of people in your pews who are beset with grief. Uh, and that there is a deep pain that they carry with them because of someone they have lost. Uh, And the great affirming truth in All Saints, one of the many, is that uh, we are all in Christ. And this is where Paul ends in this this passage in Ephesians. Um, He has put all things under Christ's feet, made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness Mm. of him who fills all in all. So for those who who have died in the Lord and those who still live in the Lord on earth, um, we are all part of the body of Christ. We are still united in him, not in some like, you know, they live on in their memories or whatever. Yeah. Not that kind of stuff that if you go to a funeral home, funerals, they always want to talk about that kind of stuff. But this Christ really is all and uh, we are all in him. And that was just as true when the person was alive. It's just as true now. And I think that can be great hope to people. Amen. And you know what? Like, all saints, we are talking about funerals. You, you know, funerals are there. There's a theme of that in in the service. But and the truth is, is that uh, for those who have died, um, and we're using the correct word, not passed away or any of that, but for those who have died, you know, this is the glorious thing about a funeral service, is that we're reminded that Jesus has even defeated death. He's placed mm-hmm. all of these things under His feet. So that which Daniel looked forward to, Paul looks back to in the now, and your uh, loved ones are somehow, some way in that moment as well. I mean, it's just this concept of that God's time is now is really Mm -hmm. amazing and of a sweet, sweet comfort that he's got it all taken care of um, and has placed all things under his feet. Yes, and I think, you know, if you, what's interesting, folks may not know this, if you're not in the Episcopal Church, there are four days in the church calendar that the, we are recommended those are good days for baptism. And mm-hmm. a lot of them make sense. Easter is one of those days. Pentecost is one of those days. But All Saints is also one of those days, which is kind of one of those weird things, because in a, a traditional All Saints service, you read out that list of the dead, the, ne- the necrology, as it's called. So you're, re- you're mindful of the dead, but you're also baptizing usually a baby in our services. Mm. So you have the birth and the death, and it's a powerful visual reminder of the body of Christ that we're all in. And some people think that's weird. Like, why would you baptize a baby on the same day that you're remembering the dead? And it's like, well, why wouldn't you? If you can't put those two things together, your imagination has not been properly filled by the Holy Spirit, who Christ is, that we are a faith where we hold together death and resurrection, and you don't have one without the other. And uh, we are so scared of talking about death, we're so scared of dealing with suffering and the reality of the pain in life that we don't know how to talk about it in church. And one of the things a good church and a good uh, uh, pastor and teaching community lay people will do is help people understand. As you said, even we don't even need to use euphemisms for death. We can say somebody died, not they passed away, or they, you know, they were lost. We can actually talk about death, and that's one of the good things about being a part of a, mm. a church calendar that that says no, do baptisms. I would never pick it. 
You know, it's not a good selling strategy to do baptisms on All Saints Day because you get all these guests and people that are extended families and everybody's third cousin and just because, you know, little Lucy's getting baptized or whatever. But um, And then you read out the list of all these dead people. It's weird. (laughs) It's not good. It's not good. From a, the focus groups would have totally killed this if they, you know, workshopped this in the second century. But thankfully, they didn't because yeah. we hold together life and death, and it's all it's all of a piece. They would have workshopped this in the second century. That's great. I mean, yeah. Thank God we they, they were there weren't experts in the second century on you <laughs> no know, church, church growth consultants. Yeah. Uh, but so, no offense to anybody out there who's a church growth consultant. I know Please, they were I'd like, love- we really like what you want to do. We want to promote you and pay you tons of money. And they yeah. were like, then they're like, screw them. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so just but, lost uh, another sponsor <laughs> on a shoestring so, budget here. I know we're never going to get that mega church level. But anyway, um, we come then finally to the gospel reading for All Saints Day, which is Luke chapter six. Uh, verses 20 through 31, and uh, this is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, often affectionately referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. And uh, here we see Jesus as the Messiah, um, doing what Messiahs do, and that is handing out blessings and in Luke's gospel, woes. Yeah, so, uh, and the reason this is on All Saints is for a, a few reasons. One, I mean, Jesus is talking to disciples and a crowd of people. And so he's speaking to saints, people that have put their faith in him. He's speaking to people who will be the folks we end up calling St. Peter and St. Andrew and St. Mark and St. Mary. So he's speaking to all these folks. Um, So that's one reason. But he's also talking about the fact that those who are part of Christ's body, the church, the saints, that they will suffer. And he's talking about all these folks. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you when people hate you. Um, And uh, he's talking about uh, people who uh, are persecuted. I mean, that's that's what is the life of a Christian, not your best life now, as Jake, uh, you like to say, it's it's um, it's your hardest life now. And uh, which is to say life, life, life is pain, uh, as Angelica Houston says to John Wick in John Wick three art. No, art is pain and life is suffering, I think is what she says. And she is 100 percent correct. And so here we, so we hear, so he's talking to saints, he's talking about the life of following Christ, which is full of suffering. Uh, um, he's uh, giving us a picture of this, of this, uh, of what it means to be a saint, um, as opposed to what we normally think of, which is being like a really holy person or something who, who whose feet don't touch the floor, mm-hmm. sort of floats through life. Um, uh, and then he, but he also offers, uh, I think, to us, saints now and saints of all time, um, a great amount of hope. Um, this promise of uh, even if we weep now, we will laugh. And if we are poor now, we will at some point be rich um, mm-hmm. with the kingdom. And so there's um, there's yeah. that beautiful theme as well. Jake, what do you want to say about that? Well, I, do, I think, first of all, it's important to remember here when you're preaching this, this isn't Jesus says, blessed are you if you know, or woe to you if. These are descriptors. Uh, This is description, not prescription, as we're known to say in Mockingbird circles. And uh, and so here he is as the Messiah, delving out messianic blesses and curses. And uh, and what's important to remember is that in the Sermon on the Plain, what I love about that over the Sermon on the Mount is that you have both blessings and woes, because in the Christian life, uh, and here he's speaking to his disciples, um, there is the saint and the sinner, 
the saint who needs to be raised up by the word and the sinner who needs to be crushed and killed by it. And so, and in this life, we are, you know, poor, but we're also rich. Uh, We are hungry, but we're also full. Uh, We are weeping and we're also laughing. And, uh, but in the middle of that is, um, and then it comes to the end, but I say to you, say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Um, you know, he goes on, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, you know, and really people are always like, well, what does, you know, what does Christian growth look like? What does sanctification look like? Well, it looks really ordinary. That's what it mm-hmm. looks like. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. You know, and so um, I think really the powerful thing about the Sermon on the Plain is that it encapsulates the saint's life. We are blessed. There are woes. And sanctification is finally described, and it looks awfully ordinary. Yeah. I think, too, one of the things that I love about this text is that, um, and we've been talking a lot in recent podcasts about the reality of suffering, and in this one as well, um, Jesus says, uh, blessed are you who weep, and blessed are you who are poor. Um, and this is spiritual and theological language for talking about what's true, Is that in, which is this. Um, and this, Jake, you know, we use the term theology of the cross. What we know and believe is that the place in your life where you think God is farthest away from mm. you is actually where God is working. Yes. The place in your life where you think things have really fallen apart and it actually means God has abandoned you, no, that's the place that it means mm-hmm. God is working and doing his work in your life. So um, it is the things that bring you to the end of yourself, which are the places where you're able to find God and know that you're actually loved. Um and this is what he means when he says, blessed are you who are hungry, blessed are you who mourn, blessed are you when people hate you. These are the places where God works. This is, as John Saul says, um, God's office is at, the, is at the end of your rope. And that's what he's saying. And if you, and he says, woe to you if you're full, woe to you, when, woe to you when, speak, when people speak well of you. What he's saying, he's not trying to make you feel guilty for when things are going well. What he's pointing out as a reality is that when things are going well, we tend to be... Um, as Neil Postman says, amused to death. We, mm-hmm. we, when things are going well, we feel good and everything's fine and we don't need God and we're sort of full of ourselves and a little bit self-absorbed and all that. Uh, so Jesus is just describing what's true. So when you preach on all saints, the message is that a saint, I think um, where I would go with this is a, that there's this temptation to think that this is all saints. So we remember all the saints who've died and especially the good ones and the, Sermon needs to be about how you need to be good like a saint too. And that's not the message. The message of all saints is that we are all people who have uh, been hungry and have been hated and have been poor and have suffered and have sinned. And we've all clung to Christ, the one who, as Paul says in that reading from Ephesians, has put all things under his feet and um, has saved us through his death and resurrection. So Mm. all saints is just another opportunity to to call on your congregation to once again turn to Christ and cling to him and not themselves and to know that he's working even in their darkest places. And a saint is not someone who's perfect. A saint is someone who is saved by God in Christ. Um, and uh, that's a, that's a, I mean, gosh, that's a beautiful thing. And uh, good news. That's, that's what I would do. So Jake, we did say we want to just tack on here as a little PS for those preachers who only talk about the All Saints readings on All Saints Day on November 1st. And uh, so they, they're going to wait um, 
uh, they're they're not going to sort of move All Saints uh, movable feast to Sunday, <coughs> but they're going to do it on the first, and then on November third, they're going to do the official readings for the twenty first Sunday after Pentecost, proper twenty six. And so, if they do that, they're going to be talking about Luke nineteen, which is the story about Zacchaeus climbing the sycamore tree, Zacchaeus the tax collector, where Jesus is on his way to Jericho. And uh, Zacchaeus climbs up the tree, and Jesus comes to him and says, "Zacchaeus, come down. I'm eating at your house today." Um, yeah. Amazing passage. And if it's that is the passage. if that's the passage you're preaching on, uh, just real quick, what would you say about that? Well, Jacobus? I would. Um, I think Luke, for a real important reason, um, illustrates the fact that he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Uh, so this is a guy who is, but he is kind of blown. So this is kind of the idea, especially when you think about that, like. This is a guy who can totally rely on himself, and uh, but he's trying to see Jesus, but the crowd is pressing in, and so the powerful thing is is that um, there he is, and he is trying his best to get to Jesus, but the good news of the gospel is is that Jesus comes right to him, and mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't even just come to him and say, "Hey, Zacchaeus, how are you?" He's like, "Hey, man, we're gonna go eat together." Like this has massive table fellowship in those days had major, major implications. And so um, Jesus sits there and comes to this man and communes with him. And it is in this act of gospel mercy, in this act of tremendous grace, that Zacchaeus' life is transformed and uh, salvation comes to his house. Not because he gives stuff away, but because Jesus has come. And now this has all sorts of new implications for him. Yeah, and the thing here is um, with the uh, the chief tax collector and his rich. Uh, that's like saying um, somebody was head of a prostitution ring and also a really bad person. Like it's sort of like to say tax collector already means rich, and he's gotten rich by um, immoral and really scuzzy ways, mm. and he's betrayed his own people. Um, not only so tax collector is bad enough to say chief tax collector means he's been like really good at it so he he's got, got like promoted. a pyramid scheme going he's got like tax collectors working underneath him he's right he is shaking down bad people and, and he's so, recruiting more of his yeah. own people to turn on their own people <laughs> yeah. and then and also so already he's bad enough but then to say and he's rich just to underline the point that he you don't get rich by being a tax collector unless you're being dishonest mm-hmm. unless you're um, extorting people for money using the power of the state. You know, this Roman soldiers behind you as you're collecting taxes of your, from your own people, and you could say, eh, it'd be a shame if something were to happen to your barn, wouldn't it? And so they pay you a little bit extra. It's a shakedown. And so um, they just underline his sinfulness and his, like, you know, we get this little detail that he's a short guy, um, and so he climbs the tree to see Jesus. So I've heard people make this into a thing, like, be like Zacchaeus, like, mm. seek the Lord. And he's not seeking no. the Lord. He's he's, he's, he's climbing a show. tree. He Yeah, he and, but he's sort of embarrassed about it. So yeah. he doesn't run to the Lord and fall before him on his knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He just wants to see what's going on. Don't make Zacchaeus into some hero here, because he's not. He's he in his awful. Armani suit climbing a tree just to see the freak show and uh and jesus comes to him makes a beeline for him because this is what jesus is he loves sinners especially ones that are like doing like in the middle of their sin and, and he comes pious up to him and says, people i'm gonna eat with you and the pious people the folks who are you know uh you know doing they grumble good things they grumble and people like i mean piety just really um if you are into piety you are gonna hate jesus 
and uh, they grumble and they literally say, why didn't he come eat at our house? Like, what's yeah, up? Anytime- He's gone to be the guest of one who's a sinner? Like, that yeah, is... So- Listeners, hear me now and believe me later. If you were ever upset about a Christian going to spend time with a certain person, go back and read Luke 19. That's because right. everybody, uh, for a Christian, everybody is made in the image of God and worthy of some time and, and attention. So, But this, uh, this communion with Jesus uh, transforms Zacchaeus, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and that is the power of the gospel. The power of the, it's the power of the word present. Like Jesus doesn't come in and say, Zacchaeus, what I'd like you to do is this. You know, um, I know you're a sinner. I'm having dinner with you. But now that I've come and had dinner with you, here's what I want you to do so that I can keep having dinner with you. No, he doesn't do that. He just comes and sups with Zacchaeus. The word that ends all words here um, just arrives and that totally transforms Zacchaeus. Um, And he's just like, and he literally says, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I'll give to the poor. That's half. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, well, that's everybody you've ever come into contact with Zacchaeus. I'll pay them back four times as much. So basically. So he's really been successful. Everything, all, everything that I have been resting on, everything that I have like made my life on and that has made me comfortable um, and is I'm getting rid of it. That's what he's saying. I have nothing left. And Jesus says, damn, today salvation's come to this house uh, because there is nothing to rely on but Jesus. Yep. And uh, so the amazing thing here, I always share this in, in our St. Albans newcomers classes, new members joining the church. I always do a session on what is the gospel, and I always use this story because I think it illustrates a huge and important point. So many of us are taught that to to be a Christian is to repent and then be forgiven. We come to Jesus, we repent, and then are forgiven. And Zacchaeus Mm. shows us that the order is different. We are forgiven, and then we repent, which is what happens in the story. He is in He's invited into Jesus's presence. Jesus says, I want to go to your house. Not you come to mine. You know, we always make this sort of come to Jesus. That's the wrong way to look at it. Jesus comes to us. And it's only after he's embraced, forgiven, received yeah. by Jesus that he then repents and, and gives back what he's stolen and all that sort of Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. And um, he does that because as and, we talked uh, about, like what... And, and that's, that's, that's the thing that's amazing about Christianity is that we preach a message where you are forgiven and that leads to a life of repentance. Not get your mm-hmm. act together so that God will forgive you and love you, which is how people think of it. Uh, but no, if you are lost, uh, Jesus came for you and he's forgiven you. And that's, that's what in, actually enables you to repent and then move That's on right. uh, into That's a new good. life. And today salvation has come to this house because, um, you know, he is a son of Abraham. That's a, that's a powerful word because now Zacchaeus is a man of faith. Um, he mm. believes uh, in this God who uh, seeks and saves, seeks and saves the lost uh, like you mm. and me. And if you uh, could believe that, boy, you, um, you're right along with Zacchaeus and you are right along with every saint that stands before the Lord in all of his glory. Um, that's right. And that's a good place to end. So I think, uh, yeah, so that's the reading for the gospel on uh, Sunday, November 3rd, if you're doing the ones for Pentecost uh, 26. Um, 
21st, Sunday after Pentecost, and as well as we've covered All Saints, and uh, noting that Jacob talked a lot about the fact that all time is now for God. I think the theme song for this episode will be that classic by the Smiths, um, How Soon Is Now. Jake, Mm. take it easy, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Steady listening, everyone. Bye. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're doing today, you know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.